Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to another weekend bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home. I'm Brian McCullough. Again, I don't think this one requires much in terms of in-depth intros. The great Brady Dale of Coindesk is just going to walk us through the entire NFT phenomenon. Enjoy. Uh, hey, thanks for um, answering the bat signal, as always. Sure. Um, I love this topic. It's like vindicating for me because when I first started, well, yeah, I was writing about it before anyone. Everyone thought these things were stupid. So it's just like all of a sudden everyone's like all into them, you know, and I'm like, haha. Do you want to uh, consider us recording? And that can be the the first comment right there. Sure. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, I I was trying to get a virtual background uh, of a Beeple piece, one of those pieces that is mm-hmm. being sold at, uh, at, I think, Christie's right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> um, yeah, like, am I wrong that NFTs have essentially been around a long time? Like, this isn't necessarily new. It's just that it's taken off. That's what's new. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some people date it back to rare Pepe's. Um, I don't understand them super well. Most people date it to CryptoPunks, which is 2017. And that was before their, before Ethereum had a standard for these things, the ERC721. So, yeah, they've been going for a long time. Um. And and basically, you know, I'm 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 already getting us into like the explaining what this is. But am I wrong in assuming that basically this is sort of like the promise of Ethereum, sort of fulfilled? Like it, Ethereum was not just money, but money and contracts, and beyond that, like almost a programmable like software layer that's underpinned by the blockchain. Yeah, I don't know that Vitalik had Al, Vitalik definitely had finance in mind when he wrote the Ethereum white paper. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if he was thinking about things like you know collectibles. I can't remember that being in the white paper. I haven't looked at it for a while though. But um, but you know the point of it was it's the world computer it can do things Vitalik didn't think of. So um, yeah, right. I think it does. I think it does fit that. Yeah. Okay, so um, in in one of our clubhouse experiments uh, this week or last week, I, we were of course. What, what are the two things that people talk about in clubhouse? They talk about clubhouse and they talk about NFTs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the 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 way that I brought it up was like if you're if you're a um, liberal arts major uh, worth your salt, then you probably read Walter Benjamin's um, "The Work of Art in the Age of Mechanical Reproduction." Um, and like he uses in that piece, the, literally the Mona Lisa, which a lot of people have been using to explain what's going on here with, especially the NFT art. Um, in fact, actually one of the quotes from one of the people that brought that, that bought Beeple's piece recently, the one that, that set the records, he says, and the quote is, you can go to the Louvre and take a picture of the Mona Lisa and you can have it there, but it doesn't have any value because it doesn't have the provenance or the history of the work. Um, and so on a very basic level, you know, Walter Benjamin said that in the age of mechanical reproduction, um, 
does that devalue or make more value the actual thing itself, right? You know, you can have the Mona Lisa on, on a placemat in a pizzeria, but there's still only one. And so taking this even further in a digital world where there's zero marginal cost for creating another digital copy of a thing, this is actually providing provenance to digital goods, basically. Yeah, I think it makes it more valuable. And an example I like to use better than the Mona Lisa, I, I'd never use that example, is I think Ansel Adams' photography is a better mm. example mm-hmm. because, you know, he famously took his photos into art galleries and sold prints like they were paintings. And that was weird to people in much the same way because it's just like, well, it's just a print of this thing. You could make a thousand, you could make a million. Right. It wouldn't change anything, you know. But he was like, no, I t- did a, this is a very special photograph and I'm going to sell it the way same way a painting sells. And the market has decided that Ansel Adams was right and that certain photos can be valued that way. And having the original one that Ansel Adams says is the one is worth to people and his photos don't sell for what the Mona Lisa would sell for, but they'd sell for, you know, plenty. Right. But also, I I mean, like that, that has been standard practice now for decades, especially for uh, photographic art where like, maybe you say this is one of 100 or one of 20 or something like that. But even, you know, Warhol did that. There's how many of the, the mouse and there's how many of the, um, because he was doing screen printing. So again, it is sort of like a mechanical process. So um, there, there's multiple copies of all these Warhols, but they're numbered and you specifically know the provenance and, and things like that. And those are the only official ones, even if there's 30 of them and all 30 are basically identical. And the, and to continue on your point about does it make it more valuable, I think it does because one of the things which makes artworks valuable is how many people have seen them, how many people know them, right? And so people say like, oh, I can download these GIFs really easily. Who cares? It's just like, no, that actually makes them more powerful. If, if there was some really amazing GIF that became like a mega meme, you know, if Casey Green um, did his This Is Fine, you know, The Dog in the Burning Room. That's from that's from this webcomic um, gun show in like 2013. If he did an NFT of This Is Fine and said, this is the like canonical This Is Fine, mm-hmm. um, people would be very excited about owning that. And they would, and it would probably be worth a lot because everyone knows that meme. And you could be like, yeah, this goes back to the guy who made it. You well, know? didn't they already do that with the Nyan Cat? Uh, didn't that sell recently? Right. Yep. I think, right. Yep. Yeah, it's basically the same thing. Yep, totally. Actually, we're going to come back to that, this concept of... Um, um, memeified art and and things like that. But um, the other, the thing that I first started hearing about this was the the NBA Top Shot taking right. off. And so again, if if we're starting out here, just trying to establish conceptual um, foundations here, um, th- I saw a quote and I couldn't find the the piece that I saw it in. But someone's like, you know, if you bought a LeBron James rookie card, um, it's you know, a pic- a photograph on a piece of cardboard, right? So in a sense, if you buy a video of a LeBron James dunk, that is conceptually and in a lot of ways better than, because the random photo they choose for his rookie card isn't cool. This dunk is cool. It's more yeah. representative of what he does. So in a sense, when you look at it through that lens, it's like, oh yeah, some of these other collectibles that we we take for granted are kind of dumb. Um, And this is, this is more compelling almost. Yeah. I would really, you know, I'm very not into sports. It's like kind of a joke in the office. Like when top shots first came along, my editor was trying to get me to write about it. And I'm just like, Oh, sports ball. But like, I really encourage folks to go look, even if you don't care about basketball, go look at the top shots page. They've done a really nice job on those things. They're very cool. They have these like effects, there's stats built in. These like these cubes that spin around like, 
yeah, they're really cool. And like, why? And to your point, it's like they do more than a than a car does. So why not treat them as valuable? Okay, so that's the conceptual stuff. Like, let, let's get down to what's happening right now. Do you have a sense of of why it's taken off? Uh, I feel like now that I've done the research, it was starting to take off in the fall and into the winter. I'm sure in crypto circles, we're way more aware of it than when it finally trickled down to folks like me. But why do we have, was there, was there any sort of tipping point or was there some new marketplace that made it easier for people to do it? Or like, do you have any sense of why now and why it's catching fire? I think it's two. Well, I think it's three things. I think Top Shots is really powerful. I don't know if it would have happened if Top Shots hadn't happened. You know, I think they did a really great job. It's a company that's really well funded. I think it excited a lot of normal people and that got the rest of the crypto world interested. I think we're in a bull run. And so people have made a lot of money and they and some of it feels almost like free money to them. So they're playing around, they're enjoying things they're buying stuff that they just like. But I think the other really important facet here goes back to our last conversation, which is decentralized finance. And one of the last big stories I did during the DeFi boom of the summer was about the marriage of NFTs and DeFi. And that was before their big mainstream hit. But um, one of the, even then we were seeing like crypto punks, for example, become extremely valuable. Like they were out of many people's reach. They weren't having these giant sales like we're seeing now, but they still were like quite pricey. And like this company art gallery, art gallery had come along and was allowing like fractionalized ownership of CryptoPunks. So groups could come together and like buy a CryptoPunk and then like a hundred people would own a piece of it, which like people liked. And and we saw other things like that. So a lot more people were, were finding ways to basically create equity in NFTs, which of course, once that was happening, that brought more liquidity in the market, more liquidity drove up prices for the best stuff. And so I think that flywheel got going and then Top Shots made a lot of normal people start to learn about the concept and then it, you know, and then we're here today. You know, that's I, I think to me that's the story. But I think it started with DeFi. And it's not uh, so right now. It's it's collectibles and art that is getting the sort of mainstream attention. But right. it's also it's NFTs. You 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 can use them in games. Um, what that's what, what we thought would be the big thing? Everyone thought right. games would be what would make them take off. Yeah. Are there other? Um, Use cases that are obvious or, or, or people are starting to, to play with beyond. So we've got art, games, collectibles. Um, uh, well, actually, you know what? Let's save that because um, that's a, another thing. Um, and we're going to talk about at the end um, my making an NFT out of a podcast episode. But in doing that, like, you know, I did it on um, Rarible. And so uh, I encourage people to go to Rarible and check out some of the art that's on there. That's why I wanted to have it in the background so that you could get a sense. Um, what are, what are your thoughts in, in terms of the quality of the art that's on there? I mean, there's obviously people like Beeple that have had sort of mainstream art recognition beforehand, but it is, and I'm not saying this in any pejorative way, because I kind of love the fact that it is memefied stuff, that it is, I can't remember uh, the, the Cointalk podcast, you know, they were talking about like, uh, like a, a, a Final Fantasy character in a Lamborghini or something like it's it's stuff like that where it's like it's really sort of memey sort of game culturey stuff. Um, it is it is it's almost turning memes into art. I'm just curious about what from from uh, what you've been observing, what people think of the actual quality and creativity of of especially the art that's being uh, sold and bid up right now. I mean, I can only give my opinion, you know, I'm a little bit of an art collector. I mean, not fancy, but like I buy drawings from people. I've done it for years. My apartment has, you know, drawings all over. I think I have, you know, a decent opinion on these 
things. And I think there's some really cool stuff getting made. In fact, one thing I'm I'm really pleased about to I did sort of a recent discovery of mine actually was I did this really silly NFT story in 2018 called like unbelievable tokens, seven NFTs that you can't believe. And that had to, that had some very weird NFT projects on there um, that like, you know, a, like one of just NFTs of weird sounds, sort of pr- procedurally generated music and stuff like that. But one of them I gone, I went to super rare. I think it was it's early days. It's one of the marketplaces. And I just found one NFT of like a, a, a an artwork. And it was sort of a, it was a, it was a little, it was sort of a joke about Twitter. It was sort of this physical joke about Twitter. It was this like this body kind of, you know, a, weird but you could tell it was human and it had like a twitter bird bouncing around inside the head as the gif and i I don't know i mean it wasn't super deep but i thought it was a good work i mean it expressed something about the internet and and about crypto twitter and all that kind of stuff in in a really simple way and so i included that as just like one work of art didn't really think a lot about it but i went back and looked at it and i realized that that artist is this is this i think a woman named hackatow she goes by hackatow online and she's become one of the big nft people and i was really pleased to see that like you know I spotted a work that stood out for me when somebody was, you know, not that big of a deal, but they are now kind of one of the more prominent NFT creators. And I think she continues to do things which speak to the crypto community and people want her stuff because of that. So yeah, I think it's good. I mean, art, art is meant to help us emotionally interpret our circumstances. So obviously an art that's native to the internet will help people emotionally interpret the internet, right? So that it makes sense that it's meaning, you know, it's still meaningful. It's still iconic. Um, again, if, if people are interested in exploring this, who are, who are the big, um, sort of marketplaces right now? Uh, you, you, I, I, I said, I'm on rareable. You said super rareable. Like what are, if people want to check out what's out there aside from top shot, what, what, where should they go to look for this sort of stuff? OpenSea is kind of the OG. They sort of were the first in to be like a marketplace, um, rareable, you know, going back to your question, but also why this is big, Rarible became big that last summer because they released a governance token, which you got if you ever used them. So that was a part of the whole story of Rarible's rise. Um, there's the, I think, I'm kind of forgetting the name. Was it Zora that Neon Cat was sold on? I guess I would just suggest folks like look, Google, like where was Neon Cat NFT sold? I think I want to say it was Zora, but they'll probably yell at me. That's probably wrong. Um, Zora is an NFT platform. Um but that one it does has a really is a really nicely cur- curated one, um, and so th- that one's a really good one to look at if you're looking for like the really like a, a more curated selection of things. Um, yeah, selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ka-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify transformed ResumeWriters.com from the spaghetti code backend I cobbled together in college to the world-class commerce platform it sits on today. And Shopify can do the same for your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ride, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash ride now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ride. 
We're being sponsored today by a company on a product that longtime listeners know I have used for years and cannot, literally cannot live or at least work without it. One Password. One Password combines industry leading security with award winning design to bring private, secure, and user friendly password management to everyone. Companies lose hours every day just from employees forgetting and resetting passwords. A single data breach costs millions of dollars. One Password secures every sign in to save you time and money, any device, any time. One Password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi Fi password. One Password generates as many strong, unique passwords as you need and securely stores them in an encrypted vault that only you have access to. I started using One Password, what, a decade ago? Join me and over 100,000 businesses on board the One Password bandwagon. Because right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com slash ride. That's two free weeks at the number one, the word password, all one word, dot com slash ride. Onepassword.com slash ride. Um, when we were DMing about this um, before we got on the air, you were talking about something about the relationship between the blockchain document and the content that it points to being right. something that's really important. What, what does that mean? So, like, I think folks think because most NFTs right now are, you know, some kind of digital work, you know, usually an image, sometimes a GIF, sometimes a video, um, sometimes a song. Um, I think they assume that the object, the content lives on the blockchain, but that isn't actually true. Um what the, the the NFT is a is a non fungible item that sort of serves as a deed for that thing, and there's a field in the in the NFT standard called called the token URI field that just points to the file somewhere out on the normal internet. Well, it doesn't actually be the normal internet anymore. But I, I actually did a story about this where I was I just suggested people be cautious because if they want to be able to show that they have a canonical um, a canonical work, it could be dicey if it's on a traditional web address because the traditional web um, mm. points to locations online and those locations can go away, as we know. Fortunately, now with blockchain technology, with products like the Internet Interplanetary File System, um, which is uh, also related to the whole Filecoin project and also Arweave, um, now we can do content addressing. So the file can just have a hash of itself. So even if there were a million copies, it would know that it was, it was a, it was, authentically it was hashed to the file that's blocking the token uri so it's it's good i one of the things i was sort of recommending in that story is if you're going to buy an expensive nft if you care about it over time yeah yeah it's it's worth looking to it, it's better if it's content addressed if it's on like Arweave or ipfs than if it's on some random website that you know the creator could just take down because even yeah. if you still have the file you don't have kind of the same provenance claim then you know if it, if, if the only authentication you have is pointing to a, a web address that's gone now, you know? Um, right. If I'm spending half a million dollars on a, 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 a GIF, I, I'm going to make sure that I, <laughs> well, not only it, it, it sort of gets to that question of, Oh, if I have a GIF, what do I, I put a, um, a video screen on my wall and that's how I display it. But no, it would be more important to be like, well, this is where it lives. Mm -hmm. This is where the, the actual version of it lives as opposed to like, like you're saying, it could just completely disappear. Yeah. Um, so are, are there other, what are the companies in the space 
are there other com- big companies in the space beyond the marketplaces? Yeah, there's starting to be, um, you know, so like there's there's this Niftex and Niftx, like with an E, like one has an E, one doesn't have an E. Um, and both of those are doing fractionalized ownership, which is, you know, interesting. Um, there's some projects that are working on bringing, uh, I think Zora is doing this, bringing like Uniswap-like functionality, so decentralized exchange-like functionality into the, into the marketplace. So that's pretty cool. Um, and the one that I think, so there's this question of like, why do these things have actually have value? Is it real? Is it all going to go away? I think one that just had funding, I think, last week, which says to me that like there is a segment of the market that thinks that this value is real and is worth banking on is um, NiftyFi. Um, and so NiftyFi is is um, a lending company that will ap- appraise your NFT and then make a loan against it with the NFT as collateral, which mm. to me, you know, when folks are willing to start making loans against a piece of property, yeah. it's all digital, that's like real value. Um, but yeah, and it's hard to argue that something isn't real. Well, I mean, I, I guess that gets into the the conceptual thing again. Like, um, it's it's real if someone's willing to pay for it. But then, you know, what is money? And you know, <laughs> yeah, sure, take a hit off the bong. Um, <laughs> the uh, b- there's also the real world applications for NFTs beyond just the provenance of like a collectible or a piece of art, though, right? Yeah, I mean, well, there's starting to be, I mean, people are working on that. So, for example, there's this company, um, Persistence, which is working on sort of tracking shipping invoices with NFTs. And I guess these things, I don't really understand it, but, you know, in the logistics world, those invoices are actually like worth real money. Like that's how trade finance works, you know, like you could you could have an invoice that says you'll get paid for shipping something in six months and you can actually sell it on to somebody else. And so, so that's why that's, you know, valuable to do. And that's all done in a bunch of centralized structures now, but they're trying to break it out and, and NFTs would be a good way to do that. Um, you know, in DeFi, for example, um, there's this big protocol, Yearn, which people make a lot of money in. And, but sometimes, you know, DeFi is crazy and things fall apart. And so they've started offering an insurance program in there where you can insure against smart contract failure, which does happen sometimes. And those insurance policies, because they have a lot of moving parts in them and you, you cut a specific deal, um, are, are represented by NFTs. And so that's another example. And the thing, the thing that I really think would make sense to move on to NFTs, and I, in some places are experimenting with this, I don't think it's really happening anywhere yet, is just land title would make a lot of sense as NFTs. I mean, if, mm-hmm. if anyone out there has ever bought a house, you know that's a mess. Or even like, uh, cars, selling cars, used cars, things like that. Yeah, yeah, that could be too. And then, and then you really know the person really has it. You can look on the blockchain and chase it all the way back to the, you know, the guy. Well, not only it. that. Wait, wait, wait. See, we're 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 coming up with the use case right here. If you're selling a used car on the in the NFT or in the blockchain as well, you could have sort of like the Carfax report or, sure. or like you know the maintenance history of the car yeah. and, and things like that. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the you also, I mean, you mentioned this before. It's it's funny. You you made me think of bearer bonds. Like every every Hollywood movie sort of has that as a plot point. Is like someone's stealing the bearer bonds or something. So it's like, hey, the screenwriters, uh, you need to update this stuff. But you, you were also talking about how you're mentioning like slicing up these pieces of art and fractionalization and things like that. So there's also all ton, tons of scenarios where DeFi can intersect with NFTs. Yeah. Well, I also hear, let's bring this back to art. Here's my hot take also on fractionalization. You know, I don't think that, I don't think you, I don't think CryptoPunks 
I don't think individual CryptoPunks are the work. I would actually argue that the entire body of 10,000 CryptoPunks is the artwork, you know, mm -hmm. because these creators came together and they came up with the software that would procedurally generate this series of punks. So to me, the whole work is the entire 10,000 together. And then everyone who owns one has fractional ownership in the art work of art that is CryptoPunks. I would say the same thing for hash masks. If you guys have heard about hash masks, that was the mm. last big hot procedurally generated. Can, can you wait? Can you? Uh, yeah, uh, I have heard of hash masks, but I don't know that I ever investigated. Explain what hash masks are. So hash masks, man, hash masks is one of those things. I, as soon as I saw it and I did see it early, I saw it. So the way hash masks, there's a lot of levels to hash masks, which is interesting. So externally, uh, the team that made it and they're anonymous, but they got a bunch of artists together and asked them to make a bunch of different components, like to paint backgrounds, to paint faces, to make bodies. And then they, they use software to combine all these things together to make, I think, I think it's like 60,000 hash masks or something. I'm not sure. I mean, right. there are, there's a lot though. Um, and they, so they procedurally generated all of them. So again, I think that the work of art is all the hash masks, hash masks again. So then they did this sale where you, all anyone could buy was a, 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 basically a token that said you will get one of the hash masks when they're released, but you didn't know which one. Mm. And the sale got more expensive as more people heard about it. So it started off, I think it was like 0.1 ETH. The second phase was 0.3 ETH. And that's when I heard about it. That was about $400 at the time. And, um, and I, I really, I was, a, that had been a long week, but I really strongly considered dropping what I was doing and doing one more story in a Friday afternoon because I knew it was going to be so hot because these things were so cool. But the thing that was really cool about hash masks, the thing that I was just like above and beyond its aesthetic appearance that I knew was gonna make them hot with people is hash masks incorporated a thing I talked about on the, my last appearance, liquidity mining. And so if you own a hash masks for I think a 10 year period, you will get this token, the NCT token emitted to you, you know, periodically over that whole time. And what the all the NCT token is good for to the smart contract is you can burn some of it to change the name officially of a hash mask that you own. So obviously, every time someone changes a name, there's a little less NCT in the world. And the art, what the artist said is when the last NCT is burnt, then the work will be complete and there is a finite supply. And mm -hmm. like I was just like, well, that is a very cool application of blockchain technology. And that's an invitation to owners to participate, that's gonna get people excited. They're also gonna speculate on the NCT. So I, that, as soon as I saw that, I was just like, this is gonna be the next crazy project. And I, you know, I was right, but I didn't yeah. do the story. Oh, well. Well, um, <laughs> the let's talk real quick um, before we wrap up about, uh, so yesterday I minted um, a podcast episode I did. Yeah. That again, I until proven otherwise, I think is the first time that someone's done that for podcasts. You know, people have been doing albums and songs and stuff, um, which is neither here nor there. But so, first of all, what it did is it uh, it got me to actually set up a wallet for the first time. You know, um, so now I've got the wallet in my Brave browser. I've got it on my phone. Um, it was very. Uh, I was surprised how easy it was to then. Because I have some Ethereum on um, Coinbase, but I didn't want to. I, I I figured it would be way too complicated to try to figure out how to get it out of there. So I just did um, a uh, debit card thing. That was super super easy. I was surprised at how easy that was. Um, but then the actual. So then every time you do a thing, like you set up the thing, there was like three steps, and every time you do a step, like first you set it up, then you mint it, then you like. 
it, it took at least two tries every time because then it has to, I'm assuming it's writing it to the ledger or something. Um, so number one, it wasn't, it wasn't foolproof on those steps. And thus far, the people that have been bidding have been all reaching out to me and they're like having similar problems. Like, yeah, the first time I tried to put a bid in, it didn't work and I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also I'm out <laughs> this number of dollars in gas fees. So awful. That's, terrible. that's the other thing is that so terrible. like it may be all in, it was $60 in gas fees that I paid to create this thing. Now, again, that's because one of the times it failed and I lost, you know, 15 bucks in ETH that I don't know why. Um, so, right. As, as has been mentioned on the show before, the, the fees are absurd because even like right now, the bidding is the equivalent of $10 um, for one of them. If you did that, I guarantee you your, your gas fees would probably be $15. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It's terrible. It, um, you know, there's a lot of things happening here. Um, there's a lot of new blockchains that are coming along right now. They just don't quite have their NFT infrastructure worked out yet. I mean, like Tezos, for example, there's this, there's this Tezos colors in it. NFT you can buy right now, and they're all just, um, they're just the colors, they're the, you know, and you can buy those. That's, but there's not a ton else beyond that, that it's coming. Um, you know, there's some on Polkadot, there's some on some others. There's this one project, Unifty, which is a, a nice little startup, and they are good at helping you do it on the XDAI chain, which is a, which is a side chain of Ethereum, and it's, everything's just cheaper there. Um, and then you can bring it off the XDAI chain if you want, and that will cost you a, you know, a bunch of gas. But you also could just leave it on XDAI for a long time until Ethereum chills out again. So, um, but yeah, gas is a nightmare. It's making things very not fun. And that's why Dapper Labs was smart to build the Flow blockchain. That's not what Top Shots are running on. And so people aren't facing those kinds of fees when they buy Top Shots because it's not, it's not on hmm. Ethereum. Okay. I did not know that. That's interesting. Yeah. All right, so so let's wrap with this. This is being recorded on um, Thursday. Wait, Brian, can I tell you yeah. one other fun? Oh, yeah, thing sure, sure, sure. Think of, um, your podcasting made me think of. No one's done this yet, but this was an idea. A guy who used to work for us, who's still in the crypto space, um, uh, Jun Wong. This is an idea he had, which I I bet he'll build at some point. But I think it's cool, and it relates maybe to the podcasting. Like as a podcast, you could do some version of this. But like, what if somebody made an NFT where, like, if you do something you the people would give you the nft and you it actually can't be moved like it can only ever go to one wallet so like one of hmm. june's idea was for example we could do this for consensus we could give people an nft that just said they were a consensus 2021 hmm. and it would just it would be fixed that wallet it doesn't move again but you get but it allows you to have like a badge of attendance because people care about right, that kind of thing right, right you could do it for you could do it for your guests on your show like i was on tech me right home you know you could do it for concerts for hipsters who want to really prove that they knew they were cool before. Well, not only that, I mean, just, you know, proving that um, an episode has been listened to. I mean, that's important to advertisers to a certain degree. Um, or like, you know, the, hey, I did read this book. You know, like, uh-huh. what if you on a Kindle book, you, you got all the way to the last page and it like confirms. Oh, yeah. Kindles should be crypto wallets if they yeah. were. Yeah. You know, if they were, we could have a secondary book market and like you would no longer be able to read the book on your book because the token had moved. Oh, yeah. Jesus. You know, they, they, this was an idea I, I had a million years ago. Like, yeah, Kindles, electronic readers, they should be crypto wallets. It would be amazing. God, I never thought about that in terms of even like, um, you know, IP protection and things like that. And But yeah. that's what we're talking about. We're talking about ownership of digital uh, goods and things like that. Guys, we don't have to choose between hair growth and our health. Nutrafol's drug-free whole-body approach promotes hair growth from within. No compromises, just better hair. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement brand with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding. 
With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day. See results in three to six months. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 84% of men showed improvement in their hair after six months taking Nutrafol's men's hair growth supplements. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com men and enter the promo code RIDEHOME. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com men, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com men, and enter promo code RIDEHOME. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop laptop that's had its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride. Okay, so this is Thursday. So this morning, the news came out about uh, Square buying title which you know is neither here nor there in terms of the, a larger story, but uh-huh. everyone's assuming that um, the... Can you hear my dog in the background? <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, everyone's assuming that this is some sort of play, maybe not about NFTs, but something crypto-related, because it's all about, you know, Twitter has been doing all the stuff for getting creators paid, um, and, you know... Uh, Square itself has been big in, in like, um, you know, doing crypto trading and things like that. Um, so, first of all, what's your take on um, if this makes sense? If, like, can you see this? <laughs> right, you're, you're saying no. <laughs> all right, go ahead. I'm going to stop. Uh, well, so, I don't think it makes sense. I don't think that they're going to do NFTs. You know, everyone can tell me I'm wrong when you say I'm wrong, but it's not that Jack and Square has been into crypto, Jack and Square has been into Bitcoin. And Bitcoin is no good for NFTs. Um, mm. It is zero percent useful for that. Right. And, and Jack has has seen. Yeah, that's true. I, I even mentioned that on the show today. That oh, he and Jay Z made that uh, you know twenty five million dollar um, block uh, uh, Bitcoin fund to expand Bitcoin. But right, um, it's not like Jack has been an evangelist for Ethereum all this time. At least that I'm aware of. Yeah, he's only been. He's very clearly Bitcoin. He's Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Huh. Bitcoin. I think this is, you know, I think Jack's a cool guy. I've enjoy, I've liked watching his career. I think, you know, Twitter and Square are really interesting companies. But I just think there's a certain point in a rich guy's life where he wants to be a publisher. He wants to be a part of the conversation. And Jack decided to skip, you know, 
buying a newspaper, which is what most rich guys do. <laughs> yeah, and he yeah. bought a music distributor because that's what he cares about. And because there are a million songs out there about Cash App, and he loves that. Well, so, okay, that's something that I didn't even touch on is, because I mentioned it on the show before, the, the way that they, they're going to be teaching in school for years the way that they made Cash App um, take off. I mean, it was literally reaching out to hip hop artists and, 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 you know, uh, influencers and things like that. And literally doing money drops in the sense of we're giving away a hundred thousand dollars right now. (laughs) Like, um, so I can see that angle too, where it's like, well, maybe this is just sort of, um, uh, lead generation and like uh, customer acquisition, just getting closer to the source, which is like celebrities and culture and music and stuff. Um, I mean, I don't, that's a really expensive way to do it, I would think, but um, I could see that angle a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think Idol's doomed, I think, but I think it helps. Yeah. I think it helps uh, Square and Cash a lot to have Jay Z on the board. So, yeah. Yeah, but sure, I, I sure. Wrong. Okay. So I ended the show with this today, which you wouldn't have had a chance to listen to, but I kind of, my experiences over the last 24 hours, like one thing I didn't know was that, you know, the NFT, I, I put it up for bid. Um, and so if someone buys, if I right now accepted the highest bid, I'd get uh, the equivalent of 10 bucks, right? So I, I make money by transferring ownership of this digital good. But I also set in there, and I wasn't aware this was possible, that every time in the future it trades hands, um, I, get 10, I get 20% of whatever the sale is, right? Oh, nice. Um, in perpetuity. And so it's like, this comes down to, I know this is sort of basic stuff in terms of smart contracts and stuff, but okay. So I can imagine that as a song where, you know, if it's, uh, you get, we're talking about micropayments here, like the, the thing that people have always tried to crack, but no one ever has. You could see a scenario where you create a thing where that, 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 uh, half of a half of a half of a penny for every stream that people get that is on some form of a blockchain. And then like, you could even, you know, program it so that like, you know, everyone always says, well, I should, the the percentage of what I pay to Spotify should go to the artists that I listen to most. So again, all of that stuff can be on the blockchain or artists selling these albums. Like again, like if you listened, if you pay me $10 for it and then you give it to someone else and they buy it for $10, I still get $2 from it. Or, uh, you know, if you pay it, if you pay $10 for it, and then every time you listen to it, that's when I get the penny. And then like, if you don't listen to it a certain amount of times, the money goes back to you. And, and that's the beauty of it is like, again, I had never had a wallet before, but the fact that this stuff can just happen, if I hit accept right now, um, that 10 bucks just shows up in my wallet. I don't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. It's just there. And like, yeah. so that sort of frictionlessness. Now, again, we've mentioned the fees and the gas and all that stuff, but that frictionlessness is pretty fascinating to me. Yeah. The, the fees are going to go away. I mean, that problem's going to get solved. It's a, it's a, it's a temporary problem. Um, there is a company that's working on that. Uh, they're called Audius. They're a cool little company. They've got some fun people who are a part of them. But, you know, I do think that the companies that try to make their moat by being great to creators don't have a history of winning. It's the companies that make their moat by having a lot of content, cutting a really good deal for consumers. Those are the ones that win. And so, like, that's why I'm just in the media term. I just don't really see those models winning until like something makes like a Spotify or an Apple music, like want to incorporate something like that. The people who already have the, like the supply of content people want, because I've used Audius. It's a nice app, but it doesn't really have like 
things I'm crazy about in there, you know? So it's just like, uh, that's, that's the problem. But um, it is an interesting idea. It's a super interesting idea. One note on your deal that you have, I, where you made it on Rarible, right? Yeah. I understand it. Like, that the the deal that you have where you're maintaining the ten percent, just so you know, I mean, I'm I'm ninety five percent sure I'm right about this. Mm-hmm. You log it in the NFT, and the marketplaces just honor that. Right. It's not like it's actually enforced by the smart contract. Oh, okay. That's you know, it, like, that, okay. Um, I think it'll get there someday, but right now, and people have told me that, that it's just hard to do that for various reasons, but but everyone just honors it because it's good for everyone if they do. You know, this, mm. Nobody wants to piss off the creators. Um, and so if, if the deal's in there, they, they do it, but, but I, I don't, but like if, if like I bought the podcast and then I just sold it to my buddy directly, um, it wouldn't automatically put the $2 into my account. Right. Yeah, exactly. I might even not even notice that thing was there. The the marketplaces will notice it because they're wired to notice it, but, um, but, but we wouldn't necessarily notice it, you know? Okay. Well, see Brady, this is why we had you on, uh, to learn about these things. So, uh, thank you, sir, as always for for educating me and, uh, educating the the audience. Oh, oh, uh, uh, what do you want to, people should look you up where and, and read your stuff where and follow you where. Basically everything's on Coindesk, you know, that's the main thing. Follow me on Coindesk. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Brady Dale. That's not bad. Um, but, um, but yeah, just come to Coindesk and, and a lot of other great writers covering all kinds of good stuff. But if you want to follow stuff about NFTs, I'll probably be the one that's doing it. Um, and um, yeah, would love to see people reading it and hit me up if they have questions. 